This is from Intern to Entrepreneur, the podcast for counseling and therapy graduate students who want to start planning their journey to private practice while they're still in grad school. I'm your host, Corey White, and within three years of graduating from my master's program, I had a six-figure thriving private practice, in large part because I started planning my path while I was still in grad school. This podcast is full of stories and information meant to give you ideas about how you can carve your own path to the therapy career that you want. Please note that when you're listening to this podcast, licensure laws and requirements vary from state to state. So check with your state board about what you can and can't do on your journey. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. Hey, grad students. This is episode two of From Intern to Entrepreneur. On this episode, I am interviewing Diana Liao, who I just found so cool. I just met her for this podcast interview, and she just reminds me of like the person at the party that I want to be friends with. She's super cool. She is a licensed psychotherapist, coach, and corporate speaker from New York City, and she helps adults in New York and beyond navigate challenges related to life transitions, identity, self-worth, relationships, and career. She is particularly passionate about working with diverse populations, including Asian Pacific Islander and South Asian communities, and she helps them work through issues of belonging, marginalization, and other complexities that arise from living in the United States as a minority. She's the co-founder of Bridges Mental Health, which is a mental health directory and therapist community for Asian Pacific Islander and South Asian Americans. And along with the Bridges team, she co-hosts Beyond the Couch, which is a weekly podcast for those communities. Prior to practicing therapy, she was working in advertising, marketing, and photography. And this is one of the main things that we get into in this podcast interview is her experience as a career changer, which I love that term, and all of the different things that come along with being a career changer, both that are maybe struggles, but then really are enhancements to your therapy career. So if you're a career changer, you're not going to want to miss this episode. She also talks about being a travel therapist. So at the time of this interview, she was living in Montenegro. I am sure by the time this interview airs, she will be off to somewhere even cooler, if that's possible. Uh, And in the interview, she talks about how she did little stepping stones to becoming a full-time travel therapist. So if you're interested in any of these things, you are not going to want to miss this episode. And without further ado... Meet Diana. Hi, Diana. Thank you for being on the From Intern to Entrepreneur podcast. I'm really happy to hear you or have you here. I'm really excited to be here too and really nice to meet you as well, Corey. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to jump right in though. And I want you to give our grad student listeners an idea of what your life looks like now, um, just in general or whatever you think is important. Okay. Well, I am talking to you from Montenegro, where I have been staying for the last three weeks. Um, yeah, so my uh, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and I have been working remotely, slow nomad. I think it's called slow matting, <laughs> but slow matting my way through different countries. And currently, I'm in Montenegro, um, but I've been moving through Europe. I was also in South Africa earlier this year, and um, Asia at the end of last year. So I. I have my practice on the road and I've been doing this for about almost a year now. 
Yeah. So that's that's like the big news. That's the headline. But I'm a psychotherapist in private practice um, doing therapy sessions online with my clients who are all based in New York and New Jersey. That is super cool. And I think it's really cool for, for grad students to hear that like, oh, it sounds like you've designed a life as a therapist in the way that you want it to be. Yes. I have. It's, you know, it took some time to get to this vision of my life, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's happening though. That's awesome. All right. Well then let's rewind and (laughs) tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a therapist. Yeah. I think even that has been a journey just because I did not, um, start out as a therapist in my first career. I, um, graduated, uh, with a political science degree and ended up working in advertising. So that was already just, you know, confusing for me when I first got out of school. And I had a career in advertising, marketing, event planning for the first 10 years, uh, first 10 or 11 years. I gradually became more and more unhappy, made a career change, decided that I was going to go back to school um, to become a therapist. So that whole first section was a lot of confusion and uh, conflict as I thought about going back to school again. I already had gone to grad school once. I was still paying off my loans for grad school the first time. And then, you know, I made that change to go back to school in my mid-30s. And um, But when I went back to school, I think once I started, it was it became very clear that it was the right choice for me. And it was more about the the decision to go back that really, you know, had me stuck for a little bit. But, you know, I ended up going back to school. Um, And I think because I was a career changer, I was pretty clear that when I went back to school, like I want a private practice. This is the plan for myself. And um, I think that it really helped me that I had had work experience and um, had done marketing and kind of had a business sense that I developed from the first career. So to me, I think the second time around (laughs) going through grad school and then, um, you know, eventually starting my own private practice was um, a lot easier than I think for some, you know, other people, perhaps because of my, um, my first career. But yeah, I think all of it together it was uh, quite a winding path. Yeah. And I think that when I went through my grad program, there were so many people who were like career changers, like you're calling them. I mean, I guess I would categorize as one too. I was a bartender for like 10 years. And then in my 30s, I went back. Yeah. So I do think there's definitely a different perspective when you're going into it in in a little bit more mid-adulthood. Yeah. And Having different experiences. And I also think it's really cool that the way you're describing it is that those experiences actually really propelled you in your career as a psychotherapist, which is sometimes, I don't think people think about it all the way in that, right? You go to, I think that some people look at this in grad school and they go, okay, well, this is my second career and it's totally different from my first career. Not recognizing, no, there's probably a lot of ways in which you could use that first career to, to your advantage. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think this is how I see the uh, mental health profession generally. It's like, we just get better at it with age, with life experience, because all of it counts, right? It's our life experiences, our interactions with people. 
our work experiences that give us more capacity to connect with people, to, to have patience, to hold space for all these different experiences that our clients might be having. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, something that you said just sparked this thought too. I also think for me, uh, graduating, I think I was 33 when I graduated, there was also a little bit of a, okay, I need a private practice because I need to make some money. I'm about to be in my mid thirties. Like it's time to get this show on the road. So there was a little bit more of like an urgency that was built in where I think it, I think it helped me. I don't know if you feel the same. Oh no, absolutely. I think after you are humbled, you know, you're making money and then you have to go back to grad school and then you're not making any money for at least a couple of years. Right. And then you come out of school and well, actually, even during school, I, I know I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but I think a lot of therapists in school are told that, you know, you have to prepare yourself for a career in which you are not going to make a lot of money. You can do all right, but you're not going to make a lot of money. And I remember thinking, no, that's not happening. I'm going to have a private practice. I cannot not make money because I've just spent a few years not making money and I need to catch up. I need to make this work, Right. So I felt the same way. I was highly motivated to figure it out, to get the private practice up and running as quickly as possible. Yeah, I had a similar but a little bit different experience where nobody was really outwardly saying, you're not going to make any money, but nobody was talking about money. Mm -hmm. And nobody was broaching the subject that there wasn't money to be made in certain areas and and they were saying but you have to work in those areas so it was kind of like we're going to dance around this topic but we're not going to actually say the word money so you're going to get this idea that you're going to need to be broke but we're not going to talk about it and so yeah when i i know when i got my first job offer i was like oh damn like is this just what it is and I didn't feel like I could ask questions about it because I was like, this must be what people make. Like, this is wild. I'm going to be a bartender again. So, so yeah, I do think there's really not enough conversation on money and finances in the graduate student space. Yeah, definitely not. And there's, there's not a lot of talk about business building either. I mean, like, I think most people think about, or, I mean, I did hear students say that they wanted a private practice eventually, but none of us were actually talking about that at any point. We were talking about the clinics, we were talking about the hospital settings, we were talking about all these other opportunities, but not private practice. Right. Because I think there's a there's a parentheses usually around that, like in 20 years, right? Yeah. Private in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. After I'm too broke to continue. After on, I'm on the side after. as a second job. Right, right. Right. As a little fun project. Exactly. Right. Not as a moneymaker, but as, you know, just something else I do. <laughs> so then help me understand you graduate. What is your journey then to private practice and to Montenegro? <laughs> so you know, I think um, I had done my practicum and my internships in, first of all, in a hospital setting, just because I wanted to see that acute care setting. And then I moved into an outpatient setting and then got hired by the clinic that I had been interning at. And I thought, okay, well, I still need to do my hours right now. And there are very few places that are willing to supervise a mental health counselor. Um, I'm from New York and in New York, the mental health counseling 
profession is relatively new and there's a lot of social workers there and a lot of places were, were like very um, hesitant to hire mental health counselors. So I think that that was already something working against me. So I felt like I had to just take this job and actually it was good experience, I thought. And, um, but you know, a clinic is a clinic and, um, people burn out very quickly. A lot of like, uh, crisis management, uh, I was working in New York city. So definitely saw a lot when I was working there. I knew that it was going to be like that though. And I kind of like was just counting down. I was like, okay, just count in segments of six months. Cause I'm, I need to stay about a year and a half to get all my hours and then I can get my license and then I can go off on my own. And so I was just really just putting in the hours, right? Doing, doing the work. And after I got my license, I took the exam, got my license. I started applying for um, jobs at group practices where I could, you know, I was thinking I would work for a year for someone else, see how they do their systems and just learn properly how to run a private practice. And that's what I did. I worked at a place in Midtown Manhattan. Um, and it was also not very um, high paying just because it was a, uh, they were um, accepting insurance in network. And in New York City, the reimbursement rates for insurance is very low comparative, you know, compared to other places in the country. And so they were not paying a lot. And I, you know, I just kept suffering this low pay. I even tried to negotiate with them and I got like an increase of $3 per hour or something. But, you know, it was something that I had just like thought like, you know, I want to do it the right way, but I'm not going to stay too long. So it was about... 11 months later, 10 months later, I just like, okay, I think I've, I can figure this out. I'm just going to start off on my own while I still work for them. Um, and that was right before COVID happened. And so I actually even launched an online practice in 2019. Um, I did a training um, online and thought like, okay, I can start this on the side while I'm still working for this group practice. But at that time I found like I wasn't able to keep anyone. They all wanted to see me in person. And I was trying to explain like, no, no, this is online therapy. We, we meet online, you know, like, but I want to see you in person. Why can't I see you? You're in New York. Right. And I said, yes, yes. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll start with an, with like a brick and mortar location. Let me get an office space, really commit to it. And then I'll tell people I'm leaving to travel because living abroad was always something I had planned to do. And I was just trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, so I thought maybe I do need to commit to, to like an in-person, you know, practice first, and then I'll tell everybody I'm moving and hopefully we'll have developed a good enough relationship that they'll stay with me. Right. So that was the plan. I secured office space for two years. And then I moved in. That was about February 2020. <laughs> and, then, and then COVID happened. Um, I was very lucky because I had read my contract and I knew that there's no way for me to get out of the lease unless I found someone else to replace me. And I remember asking the landlord, like, well, I'm like a new business owner. I don't even know if this is going to succeed. And I've just, I'm going to sign a two-year lease where I have to sublet my space to other therapists. That was my sort of like, second income idea that, okay, I can be a landlord. I don't need the space the whole time and I can grow into my space while still, you know, making sure that I'm covering my uh, rent. So it was a good idea prior to COVID. But then when COVID happened, like I actually had asked him about, you know, if I need to get out of this lease, is there some other way I can exit? And so he said, okay, well, you're going to have no problem filling the space, but you know what? Fine. I'll write something in. You just need to pay three months of your, um, rent and then you can 
just exit the contract, cancel it. So that was so smart. And you didn't even like you had no idea. (laughs) It came from a place of like doubting, doubting myself, like just in case I fail at this. Right. I just want to have an exit. Um, And I remember like with Diana, let me stop you there. Let me actually challenge that. Like, I think that that is also though coming from a place of you being smart and covering your base, not blindly going into something without thinking about potential ways it might go. Because I don't think it would mean that you failed if you couldn't fill the space. Yeah, it might mean it might mean any number of things. Like there was a global pandemic, for example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. An entrepreneur is is thinking is thinking out different outcomes that aren't necessarily dream. So anyway, I just wanted to pause and, and challenge true. your That is true. That it's it's like the risk assessment part of me. It's like, wait, what else, what other terrible things can go wrong here? Right. And it it's necessary, right? It's necessary when you are building a business to think about both the risks and benefits. So yeah. So within the month, I think I, I think I emailed him in April and I said, you know what? I'm out <laughs> here. I'll pay for the next three months. And then I was just thinking, like, worst case scenario, I need the office space. I can find another office space later on. Um, but yeah, I had just like, you know, decorated the office, bought all my furniture, just resold it all on Facebook Marketplace. I was like, okay, well, let's just, that's a loss, but let's move on. So, you know, everybody went online after that. And it was such a automatic transition for all of my clients to do that. And during that time, I had put in my notice at the group practice. I'd done that earlier, but they had this like three or four month period that they wanted me to stay on. And then the pandemic happened. And um, I ended up taking quite a few of my clients with me um, because, you know, even my group practice said, we don't want to disrupt the, you know, the relationship. There's so much going on. So for me to start my private practice during the pandemic, you know, I'm sure a lot of therapists that started their own private practice felt the same way. It was just like very busy, right? Just everybody was suddenly wanting to be in therapy. And yes. so I felt like extremely lucky that it was so easy, I suppose, easy and seamless for me to do it. Um, but I think the the downside of that was that I just said yes to everybody and um was very tired after the first year and the second year I just kept building and saying yes and I made a lot of changes to my private practice throughout like I went from accepting insurance to at the end of the first year um, telling people I was not I was no longer accepting insurance and I was going to be private pay Um, so there was an adjustment so there was like each year there was some new thing that I was introducing to private practice Um, and then after maybe like the first year, I started doing corporate webinars as well, um, because one of the companies I had been doing contract work for started adding this as a resource because they realized so many people were working from home and not doing very well with it, that they started adding all these uh, mental health workshops for their employees. And um, that was something that I'd never done before. And I never really thought I liked doing presentations, but I thought, mm-hmm, here's a new skill set. Let me just say yes and see what happens. Um, and it became something that I actually really enjoyed doing and is a nice way to sort of balance out the intensity of one-on-one therapy sessions and like doing like a Zoom workshop where it's, it's like, it's more like teaching. 
Hey grad students, real quick before we get back to this interview, if you are loving the idea of being a part of a community of like-minded graduate students who want to own their own private practice one day, then you need to head to Facebook and join my Facebook group from intern to entrepreneur. There's already a community set up of graduate students who one day want to own their own private practices and be entrepreneurs just like you. So head over to Facebook, join that group, and stay in the loop and get connected with people who are doing things that you want to do. Back to the interview. You know, I think that a lot of times... I know this was my experience where I used to, when I was in grad school, I was listening to all these podcasts about people that were doing the things I wanted to yes. do. Mm-hmm. There would be times which I would go, but how did you get that opportunity? Like, that sounds great, but like, I'm not going to get that. Like, how did you get that corporate um, opportunity? Like, yeah, where'd that yeah. I think we're very similar because I was doing a lot of the same thing. I was listening to so many podcasts about private practice, about people who are traveling. So yeah, I think it's really helpful to see the idea and just like hear how other people do it. And that's why I love this podcast. So I, let's see, I just, you know, I think going back to just having a business mindset, maybe a risk kind of thinking, where am I going to get my referrals from? Like where, and, and thinking about that pretty early on when I was still working for the group practice, because they were you know, successful from, you know, getting a lot of referrals from uh, the local colleges, you know, counseling centers, um, and they were just established. So I was thinking when I go out into onto my own, how am I going to get referrals? Um, and so one thing was, okay, wh- what are, what are all these new like tech companies that are coming out? And at the time, Headway, Alma were sort of coming into the space and helping therapists um, panel on insurances. And the upside of that was that you didn't have to do it yourself. And then also you could also, you could decide not to accept insurance at any point and it wouldn't impact you. Um, So I explored meeting with all of these tech companies and another one that came up were like EAPs, um, employee assistant programs um, that also um, have a network of therapists. So I thought, okay, I can have a referral stream from them as well. And Modern Health was one of the companies that I um, ended up connecting with. And they were a little bit different from other EAPs, but they were a startup. And I thought, well, why not just like make connections with all of these companies and see what happens? And so I ended up um, working with them um, as a therapist initially. Um, but I think because of the pandemic, they decided to start launching these workshops and they asked if I would be interested in doing it. And I just said yes and didn't really have any experience. They asked for um, if I had a video reel. I'm like, I, no, no. But I think, you know, at the time they were just like, we need to do this. <laughs> they were willing to take a risk. I think people were just trying to come up with solutions very quickly. And I think that's the upside of working with a tech company. Like they, in the very beginning, it was very much like, well, can you give a presentation on this topic? We'll help you write the, the deck and let's work together on it. Um, And it was just very fast. And I think I was used to that way of working because I had worked in marketing before. So I I, I said yes, and I started doing them and they went well. And I got a lot of, you know, positive feedback on that because we would send out surveys after each um, webinar. And at the time, there was also this rise in like anti-Asian racism that was happening. And so they started having me, uh, they started requesting like, um, workshops for, you know, just helping people understand why this is happening for any allies that wanted to support um, their Asian employees and, and friends. 
Uh, so I started doing combating anti-Asian racism workshops. And then now their offerings have just expanded. Like if you go to Modern Health's um, website uh, of these workshops, there's everything from coping with anxiety, um, uh, just like a primer to stress and burnout, um, having difficult conversations, emotional resilience, developing a, 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 like a positive sleep routine, self-compassion practices. So they have like these workshops on all different mental health topics. And so that's something I've just continued to do over the past two years. So the way I got it was a combination of luck and just saying yes. So yeah, well, there's so many things in that that particular part of your story that stand out to me as like, okay, that's an example of you using your past skills to promote yourself now. Because I'm also thinking like, yeah, well, you knew how to navigate a corporate world a bit, right? And so mm, yeah. you used that experience to go, I know how these companies maybe operate in some ways. You also use the skills that you were doing to kind of market yourself, it sounds like. Uh, another thing that I like about what you're saying is that I think is transferable for, for grad students to understand. You went into that opportunity thinking that you were offering one thing and you left it open that when they came to you with an opportunity, you were flexible and you pivoted to what they needed. And so that makes you really an asset to that company in that you know, you're there for what they need. And of course, I'm not suggesting like people need to go, okay, well do whatever that, 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 so that you can make some bucks, but you had already gone into that, that experience going, this is an alignment. This is some way I could help. You just listen to them for what help they needed. Right. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I knew that it was something that was going to be, you know, scary and challenging because I had never really enjoyed giving presentations. But I think once I started to do them, I realized, oh, in the past I was giving presentations on topics I didn't really care about. It's very different when you have a passion for what you're doing and you're interested in the topic. And so it, it felt very different this time around. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Okay. I paused you though. So pick me back up and help me understand how you get from, all right, now my practice is all virtual. And again, I'm in Montenegro. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I spent like the first couple, I think it was like 2020, 2021, um, just, you know, focusing on building um, up my practice. And at the same time, you know, like probably most early career therapist doing a lot of training. I was doing so much training because, you know, there is that part of you that thinks like, oh, and I think also that's one misconception is that grad school prepares you to be a therapist. Grad school oh, yes. gives you the right to be a therapist, but unless you're doing like a PhD program with specialized, you know, clinical training, you're going to come out of grad school needing to do more specialized clinical training. And so I was you know, doing EMDR training, somatic experiencing training. So I had all these, like a couple of areas that I went into with my training and I was pretty busy with that, but I knew at the back of my mind that I still wanted to find some way to take my practice outside of the country and go live elsewhere for a bit and maybe even travel while I do that. And so I think after 2021, after I had started building up these workshops and, and I had a thriving practice, I thought, okay, I have enough work and actually I'm really burned out. And so I think the burnout really contributed to motivating me to think about, okay, when am I going to 
make this big lifestyle change of, you know, leaving New York, moving to a less stressful environment where the attitude is not just work, 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 where I can make less money because the cost of living will be lower. So all of this kind of was on my mind at the end of 2021. Um, and so beginning of 2022, I decided to do a test. I went to Mexico for three and a half months. I booked an Airbnb for one month in three different cities then spent a couple of weeks traveling through Mexico just to see if I could do it from overseas. I picked Mexico because it's easy to get to from New York. I can fly back if I had an emergency and the time zone is pretty similar, just one hour difference for me. Um, and I, I didn't even have to switch my cell phone. The plan worked in Mexico. So everything was very easy to do. Um, and after three and a half months in Mexico, I realized like I was less stressed out. I could easily do it. Like I was more relaxed and just really feeling like, and Mexico wasn't even like the place that I really wanted to go to. It was just the test. So after I got back to New York, after that time, I decided to pack up my apartment. I emptied it out and I just rented it out. And the people that took my apartment asked if they could take it for two years and they offered more money than I had listed it at. So I thought, oh, absolutely. You, you want me to leave for two years and find another place to live for two years? I could do that. So leave. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was, it was a little stressful, the packing up and all that. But, you know, I knew I was like, okay, I know this is going to free me up to do what I've been wanting to do for, you know, many years. Like this has been on my mind. I think it was, it had been on my mind for like at least 10 years by that point. And I had been slowly trying to figure out how I was going to get there. And, and like, so fast forward to, I think it was September. I had one last training to do last year in San Francisco, I finished it for somatic experiencing. And then from there, I, I left San Francisco and headed to France, Italy, Taiwan, South Africa, Croatia, and now I'm in Montenegro. Um, so I've been doing it for uh, since September last year. And remind me, well, actually, you didn't tell me. So um, what year did you graduate from your master's program? Um, it was January of 2017. Okay, so you're talking about like six years between you graduating from your master's program mm -hmm. and you living that you want to live, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's not that long of a time for you to have made so many moves and, you know, some transitions. Another thing I want to point out though, is that the way you did things to me, I find very smart. And I think that grad students should hear that it's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. You said that while you were still at your other job, you started your practice, right? So you were testing what it would be like. Yeah. You also said that when you went to get your, uh, lease your space, you found a way to get out of it just in case you needed to, right? So you're committing to doing something, but also being really smart about it. When you decided that you were going to travel, you picked a place where you could test your theory so that you could continue it if you wanted to, or you could make adjustments and pivot if you needed to. And I just think this, this way of you living in the gray space around trying to create your career is something that people need to think about for, and, and, and listen, some people are bigger risk takers. That's great. I'm not saying that that doesn't work, but when you have security, I think that you make better decisions about what's working and what's not working. So I just want to highlight that, that I think that that's a really good strategy. Yeah. And I think I learned that from, you know, my first career in which I, I 
you know, I, I started out very risk averse. You know, I didn't make any real big changes. I, I changed jobs because I thought it was the job. But I think I knew for a while that it was the industry and the work that I didn't want to do. But I was so stuck. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think when I finally started to take action and I started to see like positive outcomes, I realized like, you know what? Taking action is always the way to alleviate stuckness, anxiety. And if you can take action in a way that feels like, okay, could I reverse that decision? Yes. It's like, the, and I, I realized also just very few decisions in life are irreversible. Like, yeah, there are a few things that you can't undo, but most times you can decide, okay, I, I went to grad school for a semester. I hated it. I'm just going to not go back. Right. Like, Yes, you're going to lose some money here and there, but if you don't take any action, what you have to lose is far greater, right? Like your potential, your future happiness, all of these things. Yeah, I love that. What advice do you have for career changers that could potentially expedite their decision making? If that does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think it goes back you know, partially to taking action, right? This is not something that you can like think your way through, like, will this be right for me? Um, I think a lot of people that come to me to ask about making this change, they feel, first of all, that it might be too late for them, that they've already invested so much energy and time into their first career. Like, how do I know this is going to work out? They want to really make sure that it works out for them because they feel like they have a lot to lose by leaving that first career. And I try to, you know, contextualize that. Do you really have a lot to lose? Because if it doesn't work out, couldn't you go back to that previous career? Um, also, you don't really sound like you even like that first career. You just want it as a safety, right? Um, and I think part of it is just learning to break down like, okay, what is it? What is that next step that you need to take to help get you to more certainty or more clarity on whether this is the right career for you? What does, what does that look like? Is it talking to another therapist? Is it talking to the admissions department at a grad school? Is it applying to grad school, going to, uh, or taking like a class that you might need to take for any sort of like prerequisites, but just like exposing yourself to, you know, the next step along that path and seeing how you feel afterwards. Like each step is more information for you to, to, to learn from and, and have feedback for yourself. Right. And so I think part of it is just like, how can you do that while you're still working at your job? Maybe that can be a way to feel safe. Right. Or if you have more risk tolerance, being able to just say like, okay, I'm going to quit say, or I'm going to save up money so that I can quit and take some time to really think about this. But I think taking action is always helpful. Like it always moves people forward. Yeah, absolutely. And what advice would you give then to career changers in how they can navigate their post-grad experience? Yeah, I, I'd say like like remind like just remember that your previous work experience is so valuable, right? And think about you know what people you want to work with, like, and I think that. I, I tell people that, of course, like when I first started out, I thought about the people that I work best with were younger versions of myself. And so, you know, I think 
bring in your previous work experience, see if there's anything there that you can tap into, because those skills are applicable. You might not know exactly how initially, but they are. And think about how you might want to combine that. Um, and think about how that then combines with your new specialty, which is you know, mental health, right? And I, I maybe this is applicable to more than just career changers, but I, I think like my initial idea of being a therapist was like, okay, I'm just going to be a therapist in private practice. That is my new skill set, right? Um, but since becoming a therapist, what I've realized is that it's actually bigger than that, right? Being a therapist makes me a subject matter expert on mental health. And then what I want to do with that can go anywhere, right? Think about what that means, being a subject matter on mental health, and then consider how that expands your opportunities beyond just seeing people in private practice in one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions, because that can really go to so many places. Yeah. And when you combine those two pieces of advice, I think that that's really great. Like you are when you combine this idea that you have a previous life, um, you have a previous career and you have skill, you have an, you are an expert in something else with, and now you are a mental health expert. If you can find a way to package those in a way, even if you're not explicitly saying it, if you can find a way for yourself where you go, you know what, I can combine those two expertise, then you absolutely are setting yourself up for success in more than just one-to-one -one clinical work, mm -hmm. which your ability to increase your income, which expands your ability to not burn out from doing so much one-to-one -one work, which expands your ability to be flexible in your schedule, yeah. right? Yeah. So and flexibility is, and keeping an open mind and being adaptable has always been really helpful. And I think what you just said there about like expanding the opportunities, I, I think I also thought, you know, I'm going to be perfectly happy being a, a therapist in private practice. Of course, that's what I thought in the beginning. But as you start to get into the work, yeah, there's 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 this realization that, oh, yeah, seeing a lot of people one on one is very draining. And the effects of that are real, right? Like burnout, compassion fatigue. And you don't really experience that until a little bit later on in your career after you've been doing it for some time. But then when it happens, like then you don't have to freak out about it because you realize like, oh, I can do other things, right? Like, or if I mix things up, it doesn't feel like this. I can find some sort of balance between different mental health related sort of uh, work activities, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's great. Now, the last two questions you may have already answered, but you can just reiterate your answers if you want. So what advice do you have for someone that is practical advice who wants to start their entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a few things, but I, I guess I could say like, you know, don't, don't shut down your ideas. Be curious. Uh, let your creativity go. Like maybe you have this idea of what becoming a therapist is like, but be open to changing it as new opportunities come up or as situations change. And I think for me, because I was coming up during a very strange time, right? During a pandemic and all these things where we had to immediately shift. Um, and I, I was like, okay, we have to, there's no choice but to change, right? To evolve. Um, and I think that has served me really well. And so I would encourage people to 
do that, to be curious, to be creative. And the last thing, also ask for help, ask for support, because sometimes if we're in private practice and we're alone, right, we just think we have to do everything ourselves. But I think it's so important to find a peer group to, you know, either commiserate with, to seek support from, and to know that you're not alone, even though sometimes it can feel like really lonely to be in private practice. And I think that does get to people at some point. Um, but finding a group of supportive therapists to, to you know, bounce ideas off of, uh, to seek support has been really helpful for me as well. Yeah. And those two concepts really go together nicely because you, once you allow yourself to engage your creative side and engage in creativity with how you help people, if you have a group of people that you trust professionally, you can bounce those ideas off of them and go, what are the ethical concerns about this? If there are any, how might I do this? Do you know anybody that might need this? Like, does anybody on caseload need this thing that I'm creating. So it really, I think it's, it's, it's symbiotic in that way. Those two pieces of advice. I love that. So then what is the mindset advice that you would give someone who was interested in an entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. I think this is related to the taking action piece, which is, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Taking action of any kind moves you forward. Perfection is an illusion and striving for it can can be paralyzing. So that's a hard lesson that I've learned um, from my past experience. And now that I've learned it, it's like, I just want to tell everybody, please, please take action, you know, do something towards that dream or that goal that you have and then see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, you can go back and adapt it if 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 it didn't turn out the way that you like, or what what I imagine you've experienced because I know I've experienced this is that you find out nobody knew it wasn't perfect by your definition. Mm -mm. They were just happy to have access to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is awesome, Diana. If somebody wants to connect with you or uh, get in contact with you or learn more about what you do, how should they find you? Well, I have a very inactive <laughs> Instagram, but at least on my Instagram, there's a there's a, a link that actually has more ways to to reach out to me. So at therapy uh, with Diana on Instagram, or you can also look me up on my website, which is dianaliao.com. Um, and yeah, feel feel free to reach out. Um, and um, ask any questions. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do respond to emails. So you can definitely reach out that way. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll make sure to connect people who are listening to this with that information so they can just click, 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 and then get in contact with you. If they have any questions about any of the things that you're doing, I mean, I imagine this concept of you being abroad and still having a psychotherapy practice and living your life and exploring, I imagine that that's going to be pretty interesting to a lot of people. Uh, in fact, we may need to have you back on so you can talk a little bit more about how that, the logistics of that, the ethics of that, the the creating a schedule around that. Um, yeah, I, I imagine that people would have a lot of questions about that. So thank you so much for your time and for giving your expertise and sharing your journey with our graduate student listeners. And I hope that you enjoy Montenegro. Thank you. This has been so fun. And yeah, I'd absolutely love to come back to talk more about that piece. I hope that you loved this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about, check out the show notes. 
If you love this podcast and you want to support me in continuing to create content for entrepreneurs, then please share this with a friend, a grad student, who you think might want their own private practice one day. And also like, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it.